Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I am your host, Tim Keller. Along with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Disher. And this week, we have a guest, Mr. Brian Link. He is a former military recruiter. He's now in the talent acquisition, military uh, talent acquisition business as a professional, still serving in the U.S. Army. So thank you very much for joining us today, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great. Just uh, glad to be here with you guys. You, you we were talking a little bit before we went live. You uh you just got back from deployment, so you were still very active in the military role. Uh, so we look forward yeah. to talking a little bit about that. But as we always do, we like to uh, touch on a little bit of news. Some of it fun, some of it uh a little heavy. So we're gonna start today with a little bit of that heavy news. Uh, the Navy has lost four sailors now in the span of a twenty day period to the COVID nineteen virus. The last one um, was from the um, Assault Craft Unit 4 down there in Virginia. So, you know, obviously, we've now been a year plus into the COVID pandemic. I know personally around here that, that individuals are starting to get a little lax with the masks, a little lax with the personal space. Um, you know, the, the, the shots are out there. The warm weather is coming, so hopefully that knocks numbers down as well. But we're seeing the decline. So we're on the right track. People just need to try to keep doing the right thing for a few more months. Let's get this thing over with and get back to what used to be normal. Yeah. You know, I saw a story. Uh, I will say, oh, go ahead. Okay. No, I was going to say, I saw a story that uh, that was about some of the aircraft carriers or some of the ships in the Navy that have a hundred percent vaccination. Yeah, rate they now. started to relax start there. relaxing. Yep. Yeah, which is good news. You know, I mean, the the big thing that we've been seeing all along is there is a certain there's a certain age group and certain health characteristics that are uh, that are most at risk, and th- those groups are now being vaccinated. So we, we should see those numbers start to we should see those numbers start to significantly drop in terms of of, of death rates or mortality. Yes. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, the weird thing is, you know, last month whenever I went to drill with the National Guard, uh, they said they had 600 vaccinations available in the state, and hardly anybody has signed up to say they wanted them. And so. Oh. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting, so I definitely said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll take one." For uh, two reasons: one, just I think it's better to have it than not have it, and then secondly, hey, if something bad happens out of it, the military's responsible for it afterwards, right? So, right. <laughs> I, and I, I think but, that that's one of the that's that's one of the big pieces of this is like this is the first type of, and I I am not a scientist, and I don't remember they, they said like it's an RNA something vaccine. It's the it's the first type of vaccine of its kind mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. So. I, I think, you know, naturally and, and, and fairly, there are people who are skeptical of, I mean, it's not the first time that there's ever been some sort of medicine that was released that, uh, is potentially harmful. And I'm not saying this is potentially harmful. I'm just saying that people don't, people don't know. Yeah, the medical community is saying it's right. safe. But, you know, I, I will tell you this, that when you look at, when you look at medication, uh, pharmaceutical commercials where it's like, this may cause Mm. Diarrhea, <laughs> death. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, you're going to lose your ears. Yes. Spotting of the skin, bruising. Yeah. Right. Um, I haven't seen any commercials for the vaccine yet because it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's a consumer brand. But, uh, but that's, you know, that's always concerning to me. Like, you know, I'll deal with my heartburn. I'll go ahead and I'll be okay with my heartburn yeah. instead of taking this medication that might cause my feet to fall off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if you, yeah, the, the the medical commercials where they. Speed up that list at the end of the commercial. May calls and da, 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 da. you're like, whoa, 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 let's slow that down. I want to, I want to hear all that. Slow down, micro machine yeah. guy. Yeah, <laughs> exploding anus. Like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I don't. Right. <laughs> right. You know what? I think I'm going to deal with my yeah heartburn or <laughs> yeah. my muscle twitches or whatever's yeah. happening. Okay. Yeah. We'll yeah. solve your heartburn, but we'll give you uh, you know. You're a little bowel syndrome in the process. Yes. So. Yes. Right. You're going <laughs> to lose. You're going to lose 15 years of your life. Uh, okay. I do know. The, the two current vaccines out there, um, the Pfizer and the Moderna, they are that new, the first of its kind type uh, vaccine. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say there was, uh, I'm probably wrong, Johnson & Johnson maybe, some other major medical company. They are putting out a more traditional vaccine. It's a one-shot mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, I think it is Johnson & Johnson. I think I saw that yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not, again, Matt's closer to a scientist than I am. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I I was reading about these types of vaccines, and that these these two that first came out um, 
were something new. It was, it was something we hadn't seen before. So, I, yeah. I'm not a scientist. I just play one on TV. Yeah, he's he's in his lab right now. He's got his he's got his coat on. He's that's why it's yeah. yellow in here. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's the typical color for a, a medical lab, of course. Well, anybody watching, Matt, was just the fact we had 600 available. We got 10,000 soldiers and airmen within my state, and they weren't taken up yet out of 10,000. So that ratio there, I really thought would be a lot yeah. higher. Yeah. You know, and I think it just kind of goes over to overarching, you know, people's mentality sometimes in certain parts of the country. So, you know, yeah. where I'm more Midwest, you know, if it had been the East Coast, I think it would have been taken up in a heartbeat. But I was going to say, uh, it is, there's a waiting list out here to, to get your vaccine in uh, Pennsylvania. So, uh, Matt, you're actually, uh, anybody that's watching Matt, Matt's in his uh, son's room again this week. So he's got that yellow backdrop, but he does have that new office. It's being built right now. It's very exciting. Looks great, Matt. Can't wait to Thank see you. Here. Yeah, I, I really wanted to. I wanted to have a better story. You know, like when somebody shows up to work and they have like a, a cut on their face or a black mm-hmm. eye, or like when, yeah. one of my son's kid, one of my son's friends show up to our house and somebody looks like they, you know, took a beating. I'm always like, "What happened?" Like I fell off my bike. I'm like, "Listen, stop telling people that yeah. and <laughs> tell them that you got in a fight with 16 ninjas yeah. and you should see those guys." I wish I had a story like that, but I'm <laughs> literally sitting in a room. It's a bedroom painted orange. Uh, there are stoplights on the walls, and there's one of those little graphics that you glue onto the wall over here. It says, boy, a noise with dirt on it. And That's, that's a true description. <laughs> right. It's like it's supposed to be like a definition. So it's like, boy, and there's a little N. Like, a, yeah. like it's a noun. Yeah. Uh, number one, a noise with dirt on it. But then I've got, I have I have Nerf guns in here. I have awesome. all kinds of Nerf guns in here. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, like off-road, off-road trucks. I've got... Um, sorry, there's like a pile of toys and a laser tag. Yeah. So, uh, beanbag chair, TV, PlayStation. I've got it all in here. Um, World Globe. There's a little alligator head right here. And then, of course, SpongeBob's back here, too. You gotta have fun. But, but right in front of me, I have this amazing view of the woods, which is, which is something that I don't have in my actual office downstairs. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so we're building, we, we had shelves built in. My wife is decorated. It's going to take a little bit of time. I, I'm thinking by next week, I'll probably be back in that office and, uh, I'll be able to show it off. It's a, it came together quite well. Uh, the contractor that we hired, I am pleasantly pleased. I'm, I'm not surprised. He does good work, but, uh, we were having trouble finding a contractor. Maybe that's par for the course these days. Couldn't find a reputable contractor. Couldn't find somebody who was good. Uh, this guy came in and just blew us away. So now he's going to do our floors, and we're going to have him do our deck, too. So maybe when it gets warm out, I'll do one of these from the deck. There you so, go. That'll be yeah. nice. Well, uh, it's hard to find a good contractor, man. It's, it's so it hard. Yeah. And, and, and once you find one you can count on, you just stick with, you just book them. You just book them back you to do. back to back so you don't lose them. Yeah. Well. You know, with the pandemic, so many people being at home, working from home, having to spend extended time at the home, they're looking around. Like, Man, I'd really like to, you know, take this wall out or, you know, fix up the office or add yeah. a bathroom or, you know, yep. give rid of these countertops in the kitchen. And so, like, hey, let's bring a contractor in here and get this stuff done. So, yeah, all these contractors are uh, flush with work right now. Yeah. We just brought it up uh, six minutes ago. Yahoo Finance released the notice Johnson & Johnson's one-shot COVID-19 vaccine has been deemed effective and safe by the FDA. There we go. It just kind of lined up for us there. Yeah, uh, I've got I've got one of the Alexa, the uh, what's it called, the Alexa show or whatever, the, um, the Echo show in my, mm-hmm. in my kitchen. And it has like the screen on it and you can talk yes. to it. Yes. And uh, it has the story scrolling across. That's where I saw it. It has ran- random news. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be walking by to get a cup of coffee and I'll see some News story. Tiger Woods. Uh, that's another one. Oh, Tiger yeah. Woods crashed his car. Like, hadn't heard about that. Cause I don't watch the news. I, I don't, I don't pick, I don't open, turn on the TV. I don't go on Fox News or CNN. So I have to rely on just kind of picking up bits and pieces through conversation. You mean the American public, uh, you know, antagonists? I don't need them to tell, I don't need <laughs> those organizations to tell me how to feel. I just, yeah. I feel, I feel certain ways about things on my own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I'll go to reputable so, places that I know what I'm getting, you know, like the onion, double right. block, things like yeah, that. You that know? Are, yeah. I know what I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> what, Brian, what was the story that we were talking about? Oh, hey, uh, rank is just a number. You know, it says the E and the E2. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, rank, rank, uh, you know, when you. Just a number. 
if you if you just boil it down to it to its basis, yes, rank is just a number, but there's supposed to be certain guidelines and rules that you know try to keep certain ranks away from each other in personal settings and right. dating, that's the dating outside of those. Yeah, that's the old military. It's, it's the old military now. Come on, the new <laughs> army, new yeah. Marine Corps. Yeah. yeah. As a as a as a lance corporal, I would walk up. Hey, Colonel, can I call you Bob? Is it Bob? Yeah. Can I call you Bob? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, pal. Yeah. Listen here, buddy. Yeah, I, I, some, I, I made buddy saw him on the back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I made the mistake one time of uh, I think I was a I think I was a, a PFC and I was in some sort of combat training on Camp Pendleton, perhaps, and there was a corporal. Uh, so you know, I'm an E2. He's an E4. This dude was. You, you could tell he's been around a while because his his, cam- his camis were all like whitewashed. Like the dude has been wearing the same set of camouflage for a hundred years. And uh, yeah, so so he asked me something in my first response. I didn't get the whole response out of my mouth, but I just said, yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to say yeah, but you know, in the Marine Corps, that's a huge no-no. You mm-hmm. know, how dare you say yeah to me? Um, so I found myself doing push-ups in the tree line. Uh, it, was the, it was the last time I actually like got hazed. Like before I, like, not, I mean, it's not hazing, I guess, but they're not allowed to do that, technically. This dude sent me to the tree line, and I had to do push-ups for like half an hour. Well, you, you were <laughs> you were being physically taught how to properly address someone by their rank. Right. Di- you know? Diplomatic. It's, it's aggressive diplomacy. Uh, yes, aggressive diplomacy. I like that. Okay. I like that a lot. That, that said, even today, when I'm addressing you know, an executive leader or something like that, I am still like, do I say yes? Do I say yeah to this guy? Or can I say yeah to the CEO? Or am I like, yes, CEO, that is correct. You know, here I am almost 40 years old and I've still got that little, that little, that PFC stuck in me. That's like, Hey, be careful. I have almost a reverse story of that. I had a sergeant who on the weekends, when we're in civvies, if we are off base, he preferred to be addressed by his first name. He wanted to keep some sort of, you know, personal life alive in him. Yeah. So the the first weekend I was around him off base, I addressed him as Sergeant So-and-so. And he looked at me. My name's Ryan. He says, when we're off base and we're wearing these, these clothes, you can call me Ryan. I don't want to hear that Sergeant stuff. He's like, I want to be a human still. Okay. Half hour later goes by. Uh, we were at a, a buddy's apartment complex. We were swimming around in the pool up in Anaheim. And I called him Sergeant again. And he came over and held me under the water for about three seconds. Pulled me back up and said, what's my name? I said, Ryan. He goes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I never called him Sergeant again. Off base. On base, kept a professional. Kept him calling Sergeant. Meanwhile, if you've got uh, Navy Federal or... Um I think, I think it's Navy Federal. Uh, yeah, I have a bank account with Navy Federal. Yeah, so when I call them for any reason, I'm still Sergeant Disher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah, still cool. Sergeant. Yeah. I'm like, listen, guys, I've been out for like 48 years. Uh, <laughs> I was in the military back right after World War II. Um, <laughs> do you know what an actual sergeant would do to me? <laughs> right, right. Now, I mean, I could probably still fit in my uniform, uh, probably. But uh, if we have to go for a PT run and I have to prove that I can do three miles, I can't do it. I'm, I'm a half a mile in. I'm done. <laughs> my lungs are gonna explode uh, another another news article up here on military.com and matt you have one that kind of piggybacks on this is the new marine corps infantry training course aims to make deadlier more independent grunts the deadlier part i agree with but the more independent i'm, I'm kind of scared of independent pfcs no telling what they might do but the marine corps school of infantry has launched a new course aimed at training young grunts to be riflemen machine gunners anti-tank gunners in an effort to send more capable infantrymen to the fleet. Uh, the current infantry training course is a 14-week course. The new course will add another five weeks onto that. So uh, you're looking at you know, the 12 weeks of boot camp plus a 19-week infantry course now. Um, so I'm assuming that some of these guys, and, and I know how some military training is. It's, hey, we're going to give you the, the basics here. You're going to get a nice coating of everything, but you're really not going to know much of anything. And we're going to send you to the fleet, and they're going to be like, you don't know squat, bub. So uh, it appears this new course, and just from what I've read, it seems like maybe uh, some special forces um, training has kind of bled into this a little bit. Hey, you know, these guys are coming out of these special special forces trainings, just ready to go, ready to hop in with a unit and go be as tactical as possible. So 
you know, if they can pull some of those best practices from SF and put them into this, I'm all yeah. for it. Well, think about this. If you take your 19, 20, 21-year-old who has not had a leadership opportunity quite yet, and this is, you know, and I'm talking about most of the people who are in those, you know, NCO and above or and below ranks in the in the Marine Corps, they become more independent thinkers. That's the independence piece, I think. It's not necessarily they're going to be like, they're, hey, I, listen, I'm my own PFC. I don't need you to tell me how to do it. <laughs> but, but it's, it is making them into more independent thinkers, more mature thinkers, probably. And if you go back in time, uh, for example, like when I was in, I, I did raids with, uh, Fox Company 2-1, which, you know, we, we called the, the company called itself like a raider company. And raiders were historically special operations from World War II. And then thereafter, like in 2004, I think, the Marine Corps adopted a special operations command element, which then became the Raiders again, and just now formed in the MARSOC. And I might be oversimplifying this explanation, but but the Raiders were uh, the Raiders that, that the unit that I was involved with doing that similar job. One of the reasons why the Marine Corps was uh, against creating its own special operations command was that I think the commandant or the leadership at the time was like, the Marine Corps is a special operations mm-hmm. capable element by itself. But if you look at a true special operations community or true special operations element, these are very mature leadership developed men and women. These are people that have, if you ever ran into these guys, like I did some operations, I did some work with the SEAL teams and with Marine Recon when I was just a young buck, when I was 19, 20 years old. And I would run into a Navy SEAL who was just a couple of years older than me, and and he seemed like he was 15 or 20 years yeah. more mature than I was, based on experience, et cetera. And so I think that that's probably the aim here is take these kids, stop making them order followers, make them order givers, make them people that can make decisions on their own, make them give them the responsibility to make solid decisions, and they probably become more effective leaders, more more effective decision makers in combat. And I'll take you back another few years, something I learned in anti-armor school uh, when we were identifying different, uh, different, different enemy armored vehicles. One of the lessons that I learned was like the Soviet bloc uh, or, or communist bloc method of combat always was that there was one leader. And if you kill that leader, everybody else just stops and nobody knows what to do because there is no hierarchy of leadership. So the guy two ranks below doesn't know the job of the guy three, uh, two ranks ahead of him. Mm-hmm. So. What the, the Afghans would do when the Soviets were invading Afghanistan back in the day was they took a measurement of the command vehicle's antennas and they would put tripwires over the road at that level so that all the vehicles could pass through and the command vehicle would come through with its 18-foot antenna, trip the tripwire, kill the commander. Everybody would just sit there while mm-hmm. they dropped mortars and RPGs because nobody was in a, a position yeah, to make yeah. a decision, which is, which is far and away different from what I learned in the Marine Corps, which is if I'm a... E3, I better know my E4 and E5's job. So if those guys get taken out, I have to go, I have to do their job. We all know where we're supposed to go. Commander's intent. Again, we talked about that before. Getting the job done, etc. So I'm betting if I had to put my own spin on it, that's what we're doing here. I think they're they're taking it a step further because, I mean, over the past 20 years, we probably realized that we were okay at doing that. But I think they realized we can do a lot better moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, based upon previous experience where there's a lot of guys that are lower rank that uh, end up taking command whenever they're out right. on patrols, things of that nature, IEDs get exploded, and then the next thing you know, you got an E4 leading team. Right. Uh, that's, I think, what they're trying to do is make a lot more independent in that aspect, be able to make mm-hmm. decisions and just uh, go forth with it. Where we thought we were good at it before, uh, there's probably a lot of room for improvement. We should probably like doing this by doing it. Right. And, and this is a, a business lesson, too. Companies do this, too. Companies have young professional leadership courses and, and companies that I've worked for had these, uh, you know, right out of college, effective leadership programs, you know, management training programs. It's the same thing. You're creating leaders, you're creating decision makers and people that will put their ideas on the table and execute from day one. You're putting those people into the business. So it's the same thing that applies to infantry operations too. You know, the, the best laid plan goes out the window when the first bullets start flying. You know, you can you can have all the plans in the world and then somebody starts shooting and now you have to have executors on the ground and get the job done. 
a lot of those corporate leadership courses also have ties back to special forces training mm-hmm. where you know the special forces are really honed in and and developed and polished up a way to train individuals to be free thinkers, fast thinkers, right. and to lead at a moment's notice. And the corporate sector has pulled a lot of that. Uh, this this pilot is going to go off. It's going to be an instructor of a 14-man squad. The first nine weeks of the course is going to be training um, and be taught individual skills and, you know, with we- weapons, land navigation, radio communications. And then the remainder of the course, these 14, uh, 14 Marines are then going to be put to tests, essentially, they're going to be put out there. Hey, let's go do this land nav. We're each going to rotate, taking the lead. We're going to go through. We're going to do some uh, student-led force-on-force actions. So they're going to conduct operations where they're going to, I'm assuming, cycle through as leaders. And hey, we taught you these things. We showed you these. You know, we read this stuff. We were in the classroom and talked about this stuff. Now it's time to go do it. So yeah, they're they're going to be taught how to be leaders and to free think and you know. Operate on the road. That's really, that's really awesome because then most of the time when you think about it, when you do something for the first time, you don't feel like you do it very well. You're not very confident mm. in the decisions you make. But when you have a reference point to go back to and know that you've already done this, you've already been out there, you've done something similar, it makes going forward and more confident in your decisions you make moving forward, more confident in making adjustments as you move forward if you have to run into a situation like that again. And so I think that's kind of what this is doing, giving them a reference point of, hey, you've already done this. You can do this again. And it, and it allows them to get that flub out of the way. You know, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I probably made a, a mildly incorrect decision here, and this is what happened because of it. Let's right. try not to make that same, you know, same mistake again. Right. And they can lean on that. They can go back. Hey, this is this is where I went wrong the first time. I know this now, and now I can do better. So, so the Marine Corps is getting new optics. They're getting new training. They're getting suppressors on their weapons. If I were a fortune teller, I'd say we are gearing up for war. No, I'm, I'm kidding. We're always gearing up for war. I, I mean, we're we're always preparing for war. There, there's an industrial we, complex there. Right. I think, you know, what we found in, in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, or particularly Afghanistan after the invasion of Afghanistan in 2003, was that we were we were um, largely unprepared for the battle we were going to fight in, in terms of IEDs, roadside bombs, uh, driving around in soft skin Hummers and things like that. And it took us a few years to get caught up to that. So. Uh, I think this is the military trying to get ahead of if we have to engage an enemy. Uh, why didn't we have suppressors a long time ago? That would have been great. I don't want them to know where I am. Yeah. Well, so. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Brian, let's, let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, you are still currently involved with the uh, United States Army, correct? Yeah. So uh, I work right now still within the National Guard. I uh you know, still do the, the reserve status thing one weekend a month, two weeks a year. Uh, but at the same time, I came out of recruiting command and it was really nice kind of going back into a line unit, uh, coming out of recruiting command and kind of just refreshing, uh, aspect. I went to a brigade headquarters and, uh, went into a liaison role, uh, which is kind of really different because, uh, not only do, uh, if we deploy 14 to a brigade and division or the brigade and battalion, there's a liaison in a, um, disco type role, then I actually go out and work with, say, uh, the local county, which I did for COVID response. I went out and was on with COVID and uh, social unrest and I worked with, um, the city and the county, both of two different emergency management centers, but I worked between both of them, uh, during that time and, uh, got to work with a lot of different civilian elements and just coordinate our responses in regard to them, uh, within the metropolitan area that I'm in. And you spent a lot of time, uh, with the recruiting command in the army. Yeah, like. I did. It was 11 and a half years. So mm-hmm. from 2005 to 2016, uh, yeah. So I did multiple roles from recruiting on the street, working at METS. I uh, was a senior METS defense counselor, went back out to the street, uh, worked within the university system, worked in ROTC as an MS1 instructor, uh, ran labs for ROTC in a couple different uh, schools. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time. Awesome. Uh, and, and you've transitioned as a professional into recruiting as well now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, acquisition. so I left uh, in 2016 the uh, AGR system, Active Guard Reserve, the National Guard, and went into a uh, company that was a Fortune 1000 company at the time, and they were just setting up their recruiting. Uh, they never had recruiters there before, and uh, really kind of went into a place where uh, I kind of helped build out their recruiting program there. It was me and two other recruiters uh, set up between the three divisions, and we kind of helped build that out where now. They were, when I left, I had about 10 different recruiters they had there across the United States and Canada. 
So and they grew from 1,000 with roughly 350 locations to over 600 locations in a whole 500 company by the time I ended up leaving. That's a lot of growth. Yeah, that's that's some really substantial growth, actually. Um, you, you said you were just currently on a deployment. You want to talk about that a little bit? You you got called back, yeah. and where were we at? So actually, I went down to the border. Uh, I was on border security, uh, working with. Uh, we worked with border patrol because the border patrol is actually down personnel, and uh, they had a title two mission down there, and we went in and relieved the active involvement that was back home the border patrol, and uh, we sent. National Guard down there. It was the first time the National Guard has actually been fully in charge of all the border from uh, Brownsville all the way to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And so we were actually in charge of all of the operations of the National Guard across the entire border, partnering with the Border Patrol. Uh, and it's everything from, you know, keeping out on, you know, different sites uh, to actually put eyes on the border and view people coming across to going out, cleaning up brush, things like that. So multiple elements, um, multiple battalions underneath the brigade. And I was down there kind of helping two of the uh, battalions come online and kind of help the S1 section get up and rolling like they need to be and kind of help out with some leadership and things of that nature. So, and they're about three hours apart from each other. So twice a week, I'm driving three hours one way and meeting with one battalion, spending the whole day there and then driving three hours back. So, yeah, it was, it, it was kind of interesting. You, you mentioned uh, when you got down there, you had some you know, new officers that, as as anybody that served knows, you get that new officer and they want to just get in there. They want to get dirty. They want to get their hands on everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for relating to your people, getting your people's respect, that is a good thing. But also, if if you're a new lieutenant and you're put in this situation where you don't really have time to maybe get dirty and you need to be an actual leader, uh, sometimes getting that close to the operation probably isn't the best thing. You need to take a step back and that way you can see the whole picture. Uh, and it seems like that's that some some of the part you were doing down there is oh, trying definitely. to instruct those people. You know, the weird thing is, so I got put on a uh, on a attack team. Yeah, that's where yeah. I went out you know, to help these battalions come online. And, uh, you know, I was, wasn't giving any instruction on what to do other than helping get online. That was, that was it. That was, yeah. that was the broadness of it. Yeah. And one of the things I learned by just going to meet with them a couple of times is that you know, the, the lieutenants were so involved that they really hadn't tasked out their troops they had underneath them to do work. And so their troops were doing much work. They had a lot of time off, but then the lieutenant had all this work they had dumped on themselves and doing 18 hour days. And from talking with them, one person, uh, I really feel like was over controlling in the aspect that they wanted to know how to do everything before they tasked anybody to do something with it because they wanted to have all the answers. And I had to have multiple conversations and explain kind of really kind of his role as a lieutenant to kind of oversee the operation, that he can't manage the operation if he's involved in it. So he can't improve processes. He can't have time to go to the meetings he needs to and still get work done. So that's why you're sleeping four hours a night, man, and working 20 hours a day. That's why you seem so busy, but it's like he's got these people. And so I think I helped him work through some elements of how he got passed out his uh, workload, how to utilize his NCO he had more. Uh, because I didn't really feel like he was utilizing him a whole lot. And uh, really kind of, that was a working progress. I had to build a relationship with him. I had to kind of put on that recruiter hat a little bit and learn how to see it from his perspective, how to build a relationship to him, find out what's motivating him. So I can show him how putting together my plan would help him get the result that he was wanting. And then the other battalion had almost the opposite where she was doing all the work, but it wasn't because she was trying to be so in control. She just didn't know how to task it out, and I don't think she really could find her voice. And so I had to help her find her voice and be a little more demanding and kind of bring her from a different side. And so while I'm trying to bring them both to the middle, I'm bringing them from two different perspectives to the middle. Mm-hmm. And what I did is I brought in one of Jocko's books, the Extreme Ownership book, and uh, not so much to make them more involved in what's going on, but to see that by her taking a step back, it gives them ownership over what they were doing and be able to make better tactical decisions uh, within that S1 section and moving forward so they could actually see how to improve the processes that need to improve instead of being frustrated by being caught up in the middle of the process. And so that was actually got the place where it was working really well. We went over a chapter a week. Um, I made sure we were all on the same call. That way they could really kind of bounce off each other with their experiences from two different perspectives in two different areas. And it worked out great. They were actually performing really well by the time I ended up leaving down there. 
Awesome. That, that's fantastic. Man. That's the first time the National Guard's been down there with full controls from Texas to Full control. Yeah, when we got there, um, the 101 was down there running part of the border. And then you had some Title III state assets running other parts of the border, so the Texas. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time like completely a Title X active duty element across the entire border with the National Guard actually running it. So uh, we were actually in charge of some National Guard assets, but also in charge of some active duty elements there as company level elements underneath National Guard battalions. So it was kind of a, a different and, and a very interesting uh, way it was set up. But at the same time, uh, the, the mobile enhancement brigades are only in the National Guard, and there's five of them. And we just had to have one where I'm at. That's what I'm a part of, the mobile enhancement brigade, and they actually put us down there to actually run that. And so it was going really, really well, actually. So That's fantastic. Uh, I think it's just so, good that, you know, we can come in and really handle a lot of different elements, so if you have the National Guard, uh, and bring different experiences in. Absolutely. So before you became a recruiter for the uh, for the Army, what, what was your actual MLS? I had two. I started off as prior direct control for the artillery. So uh, definitely loved doing it. It was fun. And then the Army said, hey, we got too many artillery. We need some MPs, and I got converted to be a military policeman. I got sent to Fort Lewis for 18 months as a military policeman on post, and really worked the road as an MP uh, from 2003 to 2005. And in 2005, when I came back, um, I went right into recruitment, and I decided, hey, I was making really good money as an E4 compared to what I was doing on the civilian side before I deployed, and uh, why not stay and see if I can make it go before that? Glad it worked out. It took me 11 years before I got burnout. <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't get totally burnt out because you decided to kind of do that as a profession. So let's, let's talk about that transition. You, you're recruiting for the military. You decide, hey, you know, I, I think I found a niche here. I must be pretty good at this. Let's do this in the civilian sector. How was that transition from recruiting individuals into the military to trying to recruit talent and military individuals transitioning out themselves into a company? Well, I'll tell you but uh, first part is it's a lot easier to get somebody to have a conversation with you. You don't have to run and tackle them, you know, and force them to have a conversation and take your pamphlet. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, it's just a lot easier to get somebody to have a conversation. <laughs> but uh, more than that, uh, I think. Having a Wi-Fi issue. Branches. I am. Yeah, I yeah, think so. Brian, you're, you're chopping you up a little bit on us. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this better? You seem to be all right right now. Yeah. Is it still chopping up? Okay. Not at this moment. It was coming and going. Me, I really. Here, hold on. You know, one of the, network. One of the one of the one of the things that I've always I've always wondered I've always wanted to ask this question because we had Rob Arnold on here one time and he would talk about uh, he was a Marine recruiter and he's in sales now and he talked about how he went through these aggressive sales trainings and sales cycles and things like that in the Marine Corps to learn how to 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 use these different tactics to to grab these people and get them into the military and if you recall he told us a story about how he would call the uh, the, the the parents of the recruits. Mm-hmm. And say, you know, this is the uh, Air Force recruiter, and I'm, you know, calling to talk to your your punk ass kid. Yeah, and then and then he would actually call them the next day, like, hey, this is Rob from the you know, the Marines office. Like, and they'd be like, oh, the Air Force recruiter was so mean. And, and so he'd be sweeping his competition. We don't, we can't quite do that in in civilian recruiting. As much as I would love to call a candidate and be like, hey, where else are you interviewing? And they're like, I'm interviewing at Bob Smith's, you know, distribution center down the street. Like. Listen, Bob Smith's distribution center sucks. Like yeah. you don't want to go work there. <laughs> Come work here. Uh, we'll pay you more. It's nine to five job. You won't be doing night. You know, but we well, just but, call him up and say, "Hey, this is this is Bill from Bob Smith's recruiting." <laughs> what are you doing, loser? We're going to talk to your your punk ass kids home. Yeah. Uh, why are you talking about my kids like that? Yeah. But um, but you know in all in all seriousness the i think the hunt is the same or or rather yeah. maybe what recruiting recruiting in the military and recruiting in the civilian world and i was not a military recruiter i do military recruitment and veteran recruitment out here in the in the civilian world but i would say that the probably the the most similar thing and Brian you can tell me if i'm right here or not is 
the disappointment of losing candidates. Oh, it's gosh. when you work so hard to get like you're you, you have all these candidates that you have lined up. And you're like, this is the this is the one. I'm gonna get this person to join the military or join my company. And then that person fails and takes another offer, or they just flat out bail on you and they ghost. Now, and and another topic here, we, we can cover this in a minute, is that recruiters also ghost people. And I, I hear that a lot, and I've done it to people by accident before. But but I would venture to say that if we had to compare the two places, military and civilian recruitment, maybe that is one similarity. I don't know, Brian. What's what's the I tell you what, losing a candidate, I feel like Tommy Boy sitting inside that guy's office talking about losing the sale. <laughs> and uh I, I absolutely feel like when you lose a candidate, you you rack your brain, what could I have done differently? You know, right. When I was recruiting for the military, I lost two candidates to the Coast Guard. Like, how the heck do I lose two people to the Coast Guard? I'm like, was I that bad? I mean, it's the Coast Guard. They don't talk to anybody. You Listen, I've seen Coast Guard has a YouTube channel, and it's like Coast Guard of Fort Lauderdale, and these guys are hanging out at the beach. Oh, playing trust me, like if I had to do gun. it over again, I would join the Coast Guard. Right. I mean, I was pulling in on a ship the other, was it last year, into San Juan. I saw the boats lined up. I told my wife, I was like, I joined the wrong branch. These right. guys are in San Juan. They're in St. Thomas. I'm like... Now, no, in my life, I would have ended up on the northern peninsula of, you know, Dagon, Michigan, or the yep. Aleutian Islands, and I would have thought the Aleutian Islands sounded tropical and ended up in Alaska. So, right. no, in my, you know, I just, I would have oh. thought that, but, oh, you Aleutian know. Islands beaches, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, oh, that sounds yeah. cool. Yeah, I'll take the Aleutian Islands. Right. Get there, I realize, you know, yeah, there's no beach here that I'm going to go hang out on. I did the same <laughs> thing for Paris Island. Oh, Paris Island, that sounds great. Harris, I send, me there. send me there for three months for free. Oh, please. Right. Yeah. Ooh, I bet it's nice and tropical. I'll bring my family back here. Oh, oh, it was nice and tropical. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's <laughs> tropical and it's not fun. It's not fun. Yeah, oh, shoot. That's funny. Yeah, listen to candidates. That's always a hard one. You know, the best part is, is one thing I learned when I was trying to make the transition is some people would give me some time a day. Um, but the hard part was getting people to understand my background in the military as a recruiter and how that would help in transitioning into the civilian role. It was really hard to get somebody to call me back at that point in time in 2016. And um, in contrast, at the time, I was getting a 7% return on my resume. And so, okay, so I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to like recruiting. Like I track my numbers and how many times I send out, how many responses I get, and these things like that, right? Maybe it's because the military in me and being a military recruiter for so long that I felt like the only way to know if I'm being successful was to really track any type of information that I could. And every contest now, you know, I'm getting a 13.1% return after having, you know, some civilian experience for the past four years. Um, right. At that time, in 2016, I was interviewing with two companies, and now I'm interviewing with 11 right now. And so that's the contrast uh, well, that you're looking at. Let's stop here for a second and, and let's let's touch on the subject. So you are you're actively seeking a job. You're actively looking. You're you're a job seeker now. You found yeah. yourself you found yourself looking for your next opportunity. Let's talk about that. What what are you looking for? What's your ideal situation? Where do you want to be? You know, I, I really want to be with a company that's gonna just that I can stay with for quite a while. So it's not so much looking for advancement or looking for uh, you know a promotion stuff like that as it is looking for a place that's gonna be stable, uh, a place where. You know, with recruiting, that I know that I can actually make a difference there, and I think it's more of that intrinsic value that I find and what I'm doing. And so, I think the part about recruiting I really love is making that offer, giving that person that next position, and hearing the excitement on the other end of the line, and then also getting the excitement from the hiring manager that I gave him somebody that was awesome. Uh, so that's really fun doing that. I want to be in a place where I have a good relationship with the business. you know, having that business relationship, understanding how what I do affects them at the end of the day and how I can make it better, that, that's really fun. So right now, you know, I have a different companies. Yeah, I've got some that are on the top of my list that I'm really enjoying the conversations with right now. I'm actually doing back to food from, uh, which is really awesome. And they do fit into what I'm looking for. Uh, not so much a certain industry as it is like uh, really how am I going to be partnering with them as a business and, and really what that looks like moving forward. Yeah. So this is this is this is my impression for anybody listening. This is my impression of Brian. Brian and I connected a few years ago as Brian was looking to plug in some some resources around military recruitment. And at the time, I had already built or run a couple of military programs in a few different big companies. And at the at that point in time, I was working as an advisor uh, in a in a third party recruiting company. 
And Brian came out and was intellectually curious. Hey, what are you using? What works? What doesn't? What have you done? What have you not done? Uh, that to me, especially when you're building a program, that to me, I, I love it when other recruiters, other professionals knock on my door and say, what are you doing right? What are you doing wrong? What's worked? What hasn't? Because for those of us who have been doing this, like I, I tell people this all the time, in a military recruitment program in a company, an effective program, 10 years ago, we were we were buying print ads. We were buying billboards and, and newspaper ads like that's and going to job fairs. And that's all we could do. Um, the game has shifted. It's a lot. It's a lot oh, digital yeah. now. You can you can digital ge- digitally geofence. I say this word a lot, geofence. Mm-hmm. I had to explain it to people. I can geofence advertisements on the military bases. I can I can make it so that when you open your social media on Fort Hood, you're seeing my company and you're seeing my job opportunities and it's targeted directly at you. And when you leave Fort Hood and drive into Austin, you're no longer getting that advertisement. So there's this there's this benchmarking that we have to do uh, as as recruiters, especially if you if you have military recruitment programs as well. There's this benchmarking that we have to do, but. My impression of you, Brian, was that you were curious. You're out there knocking on doors, trying to figure out, trying to maybe even learn from other people's mistakes, which is which is valuable because it's. I always say, fail cheap, fail fast. You know, uh, if you're in your company, you're spending money on programs, and, and you're trying to get something moving. It is better to go in there and screw up really early and say, I only spent you know two thousand dollars on this, versus mm-hmm. getting a year into a program and being, oh, we're doing it wrong. You know, so. Um, Brian, you and I have stayed in touch all that time. And then, of course, we yeah. kept bumping into each other. I think we bumped into each other at a couple of different events, a couple of different yeah. job fairs. But I think the last time was Fort Hood, we ran into each other. Well, yeah, it probably was. That's right. So Fort Hood, I mentioned Fort Hood. Uh, but, but again, this is more of a testament to anybody who, who listens because, uh, you know, as we finish this up and wrap, wrap this call up in, in 15 minutes, I'm going to put this thing, you know, I'm going to put this back out to LinkedIn and talk about it a little bit. Uh, I'd say Brian's an asset to the team. Uh, you've got somebody here who's going to go out and track down the resources and figure out what comes next and figure out what you need to be doing and what you don't need to be doing. And of course, I always I tell people that if you're going to hire a recruiter or a salesperson, people who have recruitment experience from the military are the most ruthless recruiters or salespeople <laughs> in the world. Because And you mean uh, that in a good way. I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Ruthless. I mean, that's what you want, though, as a recruiter. Yeah. Oh, or a I've got a very want, ruthlessness. <laughs> you want ruthless people. You want people that don't take no for an answer. So, um, you know, we, we see that. I know that the training you got to go through and, and the experience, like in the military, you have a mission to meet. You have people that you have to plug into the service. And that means that if they're not coming to your office, you got to go find them. Oh, yeah. And so, um, you know, it's not like the days any, anymore where like the recruiter that got me, they were standing or the reason why I joined the Marine Corps it wasn't the recruiter that actually that I actually ended up signing up with. but. These guys were in the hallway at high school, and I was like, I want to wear that uniform. So I did some more digging, but then I did recruiter's assistance later on, and I was walking around the shopping mall trying to like shake hands with people, and um, I didn't have a quota, but that's what we did every day. We went out yeah. and tried to grab people. We tried to find people. So the game has changed a little bit, but uh, you you want somebody, companies want somebody like, like Brian uh, or any of us who have done this for a while. Um, you know, you, you you are understanding the mission. You mentioned statistics and metrics before and, you know, mm-hmm. tracking your numbers and things like that. That's another big piece that I think a lot of recruiters are starting to plug into, but don't quite yet that you can, you can charge your effectiveness. You can look at what works and what doesn't yeah. by simply running the numbers. Uh, and if you're not doing that, you can't be an effective recruiting leader. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox here. No, but you're right though. A lot of recruiters end up, they understand the art of recruiting. But not the science behind recruiting, and there's both sides. Right. And you can't be all on one side or the other. You have to understand they both go together. Uh, right. And being ruthless. Oh, dude, I was so ruthless as a recruiter for the last company. We had truck drivers we had to hire sometimes for some of our roles. I seriously, if I was traveling and if I was out at say Fort Hood, I would drive to Austin and go to Round Rock or some other location of our competitor. And before I showed up to your the event where we would meet each other, I'd be out in the branch location for competitor at 5 a.m talking to the branch and following their drivers as they went out. They stop off at a job site and give them a business card, say, hey, give me a call. We'll meet up tonight. I'll buy dinner. Bring your family. Let's talk about right. an opportunity with our company. That's how mm-hmm. ruthless I was. And yeah. my counterpart got brought over as a you know, a recruiter for us. Uh, he was a military recruiter as well. He did the same thing, and it worked for us. That's why we were so effective with uh, recruiting 
drivers at the time whenever everybody else is having a hard time. Uh, we would certainly do that and just talk to people at truck stops if we saw a competitor's vehicle or somebody similar industry. But we follow them out from the competitor's notification. Uh, that's how I really found myself being more of an asset too as I traveled is picking up these other areas where I knew we had opportunities and doing that too on top of being a few events. Uh, you know, and as far as it goes with military recruitment, we had to, man. We actually rented a kiosk at a mall. And the purpose of renting that kiosk is to put ourselves during the summertime in front of all those high school, college, car service candidates. And by doing mm-hmm. that, it got us to be able to kick out all the services. So the security guards would walk the other services out of the building in uniform, but they saw them actively talking to people. Yep. Because yep. we paid to be there. They didn't. And it made all the other services so mad. They showed up at our office and talked to our NCIC about letting them in. And we told them, hey, if you guys want in there, you can buy a, a booth to buy a kiosk as well. I feel and, like somebody else told us a similar story. Somebody else we <laughs> talked to on here said the same thing, different branch. Maybe it was Rob. I, I forget, but was he one getting kicked out? Because if so, that was probably because of me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. I would not have thought of that, but now that you brought that up, that's a fantastic way to do it. I mean, you're yeah. you're paying for that real estate. We are. Why were they so, able to come in for free, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we essentially took one of the biggest areas where we can meet our target market and get all of our competition out of it and made it to where we're the only ones people can walk up to and talk. Yeah. And, and, awesome. and for young teenagers, you know, the mall at least used to be, you know, prime real estate. That's where people would it kind of just go and hang out. Yeah. Now, were there videos? In 2009. Were there videos playing the whole time of like, I, I love the, like every military branches. Now, I think the army's done it differently and, and good for them, but all the military branches for the longest time had these commercials that were like, it's all combat all the time. Like everybody's going to be a bad <laughs> yeah, the, the hype videos. You're all. Yeah, it was a hype video we had playing. Yeah. Right. We totally well, had I mean, a hype I, video playing. When I went in, the Marines were slaying lava dragons. Yeah. So, I mean, I was right. like, for sure, I'm going to get this sword, which I have oh, in you- my office somewhere. But I have not yet slayed a, lo- a lava dragon. But so it was a commercial with the sword and the uniform that got you slaying the dragon. Yes, got it, yeah, man. it was. It was. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, my my brother and my dad were both in the Navy, and I was like, "Watch this, guys!" You know, they had the, the utmost respect for the Marine Corps. So I was like, "I'm going to go do this." But but I remember the, the Army had a commercial one time, and it was uh, the drill instructor yelling at some of the different recruits, and they're all like, "I want to go fight wars. I want to go do this. I want to go do that." And and these they finally get to this one guy and they're like, what are you, why'd you join the army? He's like, I want to be a graphic designer. And it's, it was like, oh, because, and this is, you know, for those of us who have run military programs and companies, the military has all the same jobs that we have out here. I mean, it's, it's, it's veterinarians, doctors, nurses, graphic designers, marketing people, HR, IT. I mean, you name it. The military is like a gigantic corporation that wears a uniform. And so, uh, and so that was a it was a genius move on the army's part because I I still talk to people today and they're like my son wants to join the military but I'm a, afraid that it might be dangerous I'm like listen like 13 percent of the military are actually <laughs> actually combat arms mm-hmm. the, the vast majority of military are not combat arms they're never going to see combat the vast majority of anybody in the military will never see combat even during a war mm-hmm. and so you have all these other skill sets and, and that's you know back to the argument for. The civilian sector has to understand that too. That these are not all people with a machine gun. This is not movie platoon. You know, that's not what we are. Now, Tam and I were. That's what we we just blew things up. I always thought like that's how I wrote my resume. Yeah, I blew things up and shot guns. Uh, Hire but, me now. Right. <laughs> what job can I do in your company to blow things up? Yeah. But, but but there was I mean that wasn't the job the job was that but ninety five percent of the time we weren't doing that we were leading Marines we were training we were right. doing planning we were doing et cetera et cetera so uh, so there are so many of these other facets there and that's that I think is what the the new recruiting has to do for the military to keep those numbers up is to remind people that it's not all machine guns and you know and, and bombs yeah. and combat it's it's mostly not that and if you want a job in Let's say commercial real estate, you can certainly go manage properties in the Navy or the Air Force too, in a, in a, a quartermaster job or something along those lines. So, um, so I love, I love hearing the stories about the different tactics the recruiters would play in the military because I, I've always been <laughs> under the impression that it was like, it was cutthroat. Oh, yeah. And, and even against you your own, your own counterparts, sometimes it's bad. So right. if there's another recruiter you didn't like. Yeah. You would totally undercut that back. 
Right. So, so would you call his parents and be like, this is other recruiter. This is Bob. Uh, <laughs> you know, I will say, I wish I thought of that. I wish I did. But no, uh, I, I didn't. So I got to give that guy credit and props on that one. I mean, that is awesome. You know, what I did do is uh, there was a point in time when the National Guard enlisted people underneath a different criteria than the active duty army did. And so the National Guard was a back door for the active duty army to get people in. And so I developed a relationship with the active duty component. And when they had somebody that was prior service that came in trying to get back in, we would put them into the National Guard and then conditional release them after six months back with the active duty. So we worked out a deal where I was having the active duty swearing in my prior service enlistment for me in the active duty office as a National Guard recruiter and then finishing the paperwork up in my office. Because the National Guard and the active duty Army and Army Reserves, we don't have a good relationship typically. But right. this worked out beautifully to where I was making mission. I was sending people after six months back over to them with conditional release. And I'd help them get the conditional release from the National Guard. We had something awesome going for a couple of years. And so for me, it was a money maker all day long. They were happy because when they still got people in, they just knew it would be six months down the road. And so they just had that continual stream coming for me. And uh, that was a great relationship. And then the other great one was, you know, hey, guys, I hate to say it, but we got more Marines in the National Guard than the Marine Corps has in the Marines right now. Oh, I know. And I know. I, we, yeah. uh, when they got rid of the tow unit in my uh, city, that was nothing but a, a honey hole for me. Because those mm-hmm. guys either had to drive to Chicago or Oklahoma City then to go to drill. And I put those guys in by the droves. I put one in and he brought his buddy and then he brought other buddies. And that yeah. year I made money. Off of I know that. it that was awesome. We went into the guard afterwards. And, and we always laughed and made fun of them. Like, oh, how could you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> they're like, man, this is awesome. We got new stuff. We got yeah. good gear. Yeah. Yeah. We're not constantly yelling at each other. Yeah, we're not know. using Vietnam era stuff. Anyway. <laughs> right. But I, but I think, I think culturally, it was you know, the Marine Corps is just. I always, I always explained it as being exceptionally aggressive and violent. Like that's the culture of the Marine Corps. Is yeah, you're supposed to be. I was. I loved being aggressive, but I was just. I couldn't do it 100 percent of the time. And it's it's one of the reasons why I was like, I'm not going to stay here for the rest of my life. I loved it, but it was like I'm going to get in and get out. You know. Right. Um, but some of these guys that would that would transition out of active duty Marines and then go into the guard, of course we'd make fun of them. But but then they would be like, "Dude, I've got it made here. Like I, you know, I am I am in control of like they'd be like an NCO. And they're like, I'm bossing around the captain. You know? <laughs> yeah, dude, you have no idea. Like yeah. it, it's crazy sometimes. You know, I've uh I've trained a lot of lieutenants in my time, a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the crazy thing is, is an E7, it's awesome. Um, you get a chance to train lieutenants, you partner with a lot of captains and O3s and O4s, uh, you know, sometimes O5s as well. So, you know, I was working, uh, doing a warfighter with 101st at one point, and I was at the division headquarters there. We got one sergeant walking around to briefing and full of colonels as an E7. And I needed to get a report out. And the battle captain that night, O3, just kept ignoring me all night long. Would not respond to me, told me he was too busy. So the next morning, I get a phone call for um, the lieutenant colonel saying, hey, Hagmar reports all checked up this morning. We briefed the same information we briefed yesterday to the three-star. I said, hey, I was like, are you staying in the coach right now? He said, yes. He said, you go up to your battle captain and tell him to send me the information I need that he's ignored me all night for? I'll fix it for you. Did I throw that O3 under the bus? Heck, yes, I did. But... At the same time, I taught him a valuable lesson. So I sent over to the lieutenant colonel all the emails and traffic I had from that night before where I never got a response and telling me to wait because he was too busy. And in 10 minutes, I had all the information I needed coming through in my email. I was able to update the PowerPoint for the lieutenant colonel. Uh, So just things like that was kind of fun, too, because then it built a lot of respect from the lieutenant colonel's point of view with me. He's still in the state national guard where I'm at right now. Right. And, uh, stops and talks to me whenever I run into him in a hallway now. So it's just kind of interesting the different elements you get to engage with and the respect and rapport you build with people over time. And the three, he, he realized he was wrong and him and I are good still, but it was just kind of a, a fun little lesson to teach him at the same time. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. To go back to, uh, something you were talking about earlier with buying the kiosk in the, in the mall, I just envisioned, you know, like the Navy setting up like a, Hey, we're selling cookies right outside the, the doors of the mall here. We can't go in, but you guys can stop and get a cookie. We'll talk to you. 
And as a as a Marine Corps recruiter, I'd have just walked up and slapped the cookie out of their hand. What are you doing? Can't eat those. It, it's a, it's almost you like know, it's almost like it's like having a drug dealer outside of the door. Like they don't want to they don't want anybody to know that they're there. But like they're wearing a trench coat. Like, hey, when you go inside, clothes. don't tell the army we're here. Yeah, they started like, wearing like, civilian clothes coming in, and they would have to right. have like. They they started off with like photos and said like Marine Corps on them or Army, yeah. But then they were getting picked up because security guards were picking up on them. Yeah, they actually started coming in as civilian clothes without any type of emblems on them and just talking to people. So like, they, they, they had to find other ways around it. They're like standing in the back of a Footlocker behind like a display, like psst, hey, psst, I got money. Hey, I see you're buying running shoes. You like to run? I can, you want a good boot camp and run? I can promise you a life of adventure. We'll, we'll pay you to run. We'll pay you to run. We'll pay you to run at least three to four times a week, multiple miles. We'll give you shoes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Shoes and boots. Yeah, mm-hmm. shoes, boots, uniforms. I mean, you can, you can, and we'll, give you, we'll give you free food, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Have, have you seen this true. Lava Dragon commercial? <laughs> <laughs> right. You right. may earn a sword one day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the truth. It's the, just and we'll give you a really cool thing. uniform. Yep. There you go. Okay, well, Brian, thank you very you much for tools. joining us. Uh, uh, just wanted to give you the opportunity. Um, you know, anybody that's that's seen this or hears this and uh, is potentially looking for a talent acquisition individual, Brian is definitely your guy. Um, and I, I love the fact that before we started recording, you were saying that, you know, when you started doing the military transition uh, talent acquisition, you reached out to guys like Matt. You reached out mm-hmm. to somebody at Disney, you said, and, and there was a third name there that I, I don't yep. remember. But, you know, uh, so that's. And even Matt said it. it. That's that's something that most people aren't willing to do. They, they'd rather go out and, you know, make the mistakes on their own versus it's just a smarter plan to, hey, you've been doing this. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me let me bend your ear a little bit and see what you've done that's worked and see what you haven't done. So you can kind of stay away from some of those pitfalls. Right. So that's a great I think deal. That's something so. we learned in the military. To do. I mean, think about yeah. the number of times that, you know, somebody's like, hey, go do me a memo on X, Y, Z. And you turn to like, hey. Do you have an example of that memo that he's right. talking about? And then we go build one off of it, and we, we make it our own. And then it's right. something we really learn in the military is, hey, let's go and find out some of the best practices, learn from somebody else who's already done it, and then let's see if we can improve upon it. Okay. And so, yeah. That's the that's reason we don't important. line up in, in in major formations and just walk towards each other anymore either, <laughs> right? You know, Somebody, somebody sure at one point was like, hey, why don't we try to hide? Yeah, like, I mean, we're standing in the middle of this field. Seems like they yes. might be able to shoot us pretty easily. Let's get behind a tree or something. Right. I right. think Ethan Allen had a great plan to that. You know, that's yeah. why he was doing all his you know guerrilla warfare whenever he did back in the Revolutionary War, and that's yeah. why the British kind of so you know dishonorable at the time. Yep. It was ridiculous, it was. not gentlemanlike. So, <laughs> well, with, <laughs> but at the same time, we, it's find a new way to do it smartly. Yeah. When we talk about networking, you know, which is which is the number one most effective way to plug into your next opportunities, in my opinion. Networking has done just wonders for me. I mm-hmm. I no longer, uh, in my career, in, in over the years, I've never just dropped an application in and waited for something to happen. I've made connections with people. Mm-hmm. And to get better at my own job, I make connections with people. I have I have connections with other organizations. I have, I've had two or three conversations this week alone already, and it's only Wednesday, with other Fortune 500s. Uh, about their respective programs and what they're doing, because I wanted to hear from these different organizations. But that's the way to do it. It's it is building a network not by asking people just for a connection. It's coming in and saying, "Hey, what are you doing, and how can I learn from you?" People love to talk about themselves, yep. and I don't say that in a bad way. I mean, it, it could be bad, but in the case of trying to get on somebody's radar or trying to to bend somebody's ear to to quote them. Um, it is asking them to share what they've done right. And people love to brag about their successes and they like to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, and frankly, when we talk about recruiting programs, but even more specifically, military recruiting programs or veteran recruiting programs, mm-hmm. my number one mission in my job is to plug the best talent into the company with whom I work or for whom I work, the company that's paying me to do mm-hmm. that program. I'm gonna I'm gonna produce the best results in the entire world. But secondarily, my secondary function there is my secondary priority there is to make sure that I'm also helping that transitioning service member get from point A to point B. And I can't do that as one company. I have to have other companies and other professionals on board with me doing that type of work. So 
it behooves me to connect with the Amazons and the Johnson and Johnsons and the Cintas's and the you name it, all the all the companies that we see out there that have military programs. It behooves me to connect with them because I have to I have to be able to share talent in some cases. Or yeah. hey hey candidate ABC, I don't have a job for you. I, I don't we don't do what you've done in the military. Why don't you go take a look at, at Amazon down the street because they do that type of work. So without those connections, you know, that's the, the we are all out here kind of acting as individual contributors and we don't we don't want to be that, especially as a veteran network. We don't want to be that. So the whole purpose of this podcast is to share those best practices and share stories of that stuff. Uh, if we're doing it as soloists, we're failing. We're not we're not a very good fraternity of men and women. So no, I think uh, veterans do a really good job about being able to network to one another. They do a great yeah. job about putting information out. Um, and I think that's probably been one of the best things that since I posted out that, hey, I was looking for a new opportunity, the amount of just people on LinkedIn that I've had reach out to me has been awesome. It's been amazing. It's yeah. been a huge help in my search. Is why I'm, I think, as successful as I am right now in my job search. And so that, I think, is really huge. And then just going out there and back being scared of hearing no. I mean, just like right. whenever I reached out to you, Matt, a few years ago, what's worse you would have said to me? No, I ain't got time. I'm well, busy. Somebody else would have. Have your people call my people. I, I am not right. that. <laughs> yeah. These no, days, I, these days, I find I, I find myself in my inbox apologizing to people. I'm so sorry for the delay, but mm. you are one of four thousand people that have sent me a message this week. Uh, it, and that's a good problem to have. It's just a sign of the times right now with COVID and everything. A lot of people's worlds have been shaken up and we're trying to get to everybody we can, but, but yeah, you're right. What's the worst I could have said? No, Brian, sorry, I'm busy. Um, right. that would have been foolish of me because, you know, I'll, I'll entertain the conversation. And of course, here we are a couple of years later, still talking. Yeah. You know, and that's just building relationships and right. uh, having those networks built. And, you know, obviously I, I've sent people like you just mentioned. Over to other companies because either we didn't have what they needed or I noticed an opportunity somewhere else. And right. uh, it's just like whenever we went to career events and things, I, I would talk to other people about the different views and, uh, I might be talking to somebody and he told me that they're looking for, Hey, I don't have that. If you go three views down, this other company got exactly what you're looking for. You need to go talk yep. to them. Yep. 100%. And, uh, yep. I've actually had some people in my company that were there with me at different events whenever I've done that. And like, you know, hey, hey, you just sent yeah. it to another company. Like, yeah, we didn't have what they needed. Right. That place did. Why did you send that veterinarian to that other company? It's like, because we don't hire veterinarians. Right. Like, I'm not sure to bring him in to do something else yeah. that I want to do. So. Right. That's, that's PetSmart down there, and they have veterinarians. Right. We're all snakes. We deal with cutting up meats. Right. <laughs> they save the animals. Right. Yeah. Why did you send that pilot down there? Because we're not Delta, and that's Delta. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we don't have fixed wings anymore. So. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, well, Brian, it sounds like you're getting uh, very successful early returns in your job search. I hope you find something uh, soon, and it's going to allow you to take this take this uh, uh, network you've built and take your talents, and you find yourself just as busy as Mr. Matt Disher here very shortly, uh, getting people to the right spots internally and sharing across your network as well with uh, potential other landing spots for these people. So. Thank you very much for joining us today, Brian. It was a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to talk to you. Thank Matt, you guys so before much. We, yeah. Matt, before we go, you got anything you wanted to share? No, I'm good. Uh, okay. I look forward to next week. I'll be in the new office and uh, we'll have a new background. And, uh, you know, I like to think that that's where I'm going to kick it into high gear. But I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I it's, uh, it's the same old thing. But, you know, I, I think along the lines of our conversation, uh, keep networking and, um, of course, we are always looking to have great conversations with other guests on the show here as we continue to, to, to move down this road. So if you uh, have an interesting story, want to come join us, drop into my inbox uh, and I'll send you a note and apologize for the delay. <laughs> and then Sorry. we will talk. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Matt, in the new office, I expect a monocle and possibly a top hat next week. So, Right. Yeah, I'll wear a full tuxedo yes. 100% of the time. Uh, and... Uh, with a with a, a pipe, I'll have a pipe. A pipe, a so. glass of bourbon. <laughs> right, right. Stir, uh, stirring yeah. it, swirling it as we talk. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> no, I look forward to it. Thanks, Brian. Thanks so much for for your service, of course, and yeah. uh, for your uh, your friendship, your camaraderie here. And uh, thanks for staying in touch with us. And and uh, and I wish you the best of luck 
in your next mm-hmm. steps. I think you're an asset wherever you go. And I mean that sincerely. So um, I hope that anybody listens to this and, and somebody might uh, recognize an opportunity. It sounds like you've got some, some things in the cooker though. So that's good. Yeah, I do. But Hey, I'm good. open to the conversation right now. So I won't ever good. turn down the conversation at this point. Yeah. Good. Thank you Brian, so much. I really definitely let us it. know how it goes. I will. Let us, yeah, let us know how it goes. Uh, so with that, we're going to wrap up today. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. You can check us out there. You can like, subscribe, give us the thumbs up, give us a heart, smiley face, all those fun little things. You can also find us on all your major podcast platforms. Again, subscribe, leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you like, what you don't. Tell me I need to grow the beard back out. I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, That way we can get better for you guys. Appreciate it. And until next week, we'll be right back here on Beyond the Wire.